All right, church family, good morning once again. Let me invite you all to find your seat. And uh, as, you, as you find your seat, if you would open your Bible to the Gospel of Mark. We've been going through Mark for several weeks now. We've made it to chapter 4. And this morning we're going to be in a clusters of verses. Last week I went through the parable of the sower and I only addressed the parable itself and then Jesus's explanation of the parable. And I left off the the other portions because I wanted to get to them this week. So this morning we'll be in Mark 4, 1 to 3, 9 to 13, and 33 to 34. The title of this morning's sermon is, Why Did Jesus Speak in Parables? So let's read the text. I'll open us in a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into the sermon this morning. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And then jumping down to verse nine. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? And then jumping down to verse 33 to 34, with many parables, Many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. If you will, pray with me. God, thank you for your son. Thank you for your son being a teacher. God, we we recognize that he is still teaching us this morning through your word. We still hear his voice. We still hear his parables. I pray this morning, God, you would help us to see why did Jesus teach in parables? Why did he use this uh, tool uh, to teach? What, what, What were his intentions? What was he hoping to accomplish? I pray, God, you would give us ears to hear this morning. Give us eyes to see. Let not the word fall on shallow soil or hardened soil or soil with thorns. This morning, God, please cause the word to fall in good soil that it would produce a crop that continues to bear 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last week, we looked at the parable of the sower and Jesus's explanation of the parable. And I intentionally skipped over the very first part of the text, the middle part of the text, and then the end part of the text, because I wanted to string these together thematically. This morning, we're going to get to one central question. Why did Jesus speak in parables? 
Now, growing up in children's Sunday school, I grew up in the church. I was, uh, I've I've never known a life apart from the church, except when I was in rebellion. Uh, Growing up uh, in children's Sunday school and in VBS and even Sunday morning sermons, I was always taught that Jesus spoke in parables because people like stories, right? That's why he did it. That stories are relatable. And um, that's why he did it. Now, while there is an element of truth to that, a better answer is to go to Jesus himself. In other words, did Jesus ever tell us why did he speak in parables? And the answer is yes, he did. Jesus did explicitly tell us why he spoke in parables. And this morning, we will see his reason why. So we're going to look at the exposition, exposition of the text. I'll go through it kind of section by section, and then I'll give you application at the end. So let's start with our exposition, looking at verses 1 and 2 of Mark 4. If you will, read it in your copy of God's Word. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat, sat in and on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them... We'll stop there. Now, Mark opens this section, chapter four, with this word again. 28 times Mark uses this word again. Now, why does he do that? I think Mark wants to stress to us that Jesus was constantly doing ministry. You read the gospel of Mark, it's always again, again, again. Mark wants us to realize Jesus did not take breaks. He was constantly doing the work of ministry. And once again, Jesus is teaching the crowds at his favorite spot. What was his favorite spot? The Sea of Galilee. He's by the sea and he's teaching this parable. It's, it's kind of funny because I always picture Jesus telling the parable of the sower, like walking through a grain field. I don't know why, just maybe because it would, it would make sense. But we actually see that Jesus is not walking through a grain field. Jesus is in a boat on the sea uh, teaching this. Now, why is he in a boat? He most likely got in a boat the same reason he did before, so that the crowds wouldn't crush him or wouldn't crush each other. So here is Jesus. Now, he's probably just you know a few feet off of shore, sitting in a very small boat. And he's sitting down in the boat. The crowds are all sitting on the shore listening to him, and Jesus proceeds to teach the crowds through the use of parables. Now, what is a parable? I've I've addressed this before, but but I I didn't speak much about it because I I wanted to save it for this morning. The word parable comes from the Greek word parabole. That's where we get the English word parable from. What does parabole mean? It means something that serves as a model or example pointing beyond itself and for later realization, right? Um, Parables, they existed in the Old Testament. Remember, Nathan told a parable to David to confront him on his murder and adultery. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all contain Jesus's parables. John, however, does not include any of Jesus's parables. It's kind of interesting. John, John includes other writings of Jesus that none of them included. But John, I guess he didn't like parables. I, I don't know. He just didn't include them. Often when we think of a parable, we think of a story. That's what we often think of. But story is actually only one form of parable. A parable could also be a proverb. A simile, an illustration, an extended metaphor, a riddle, an enigmatic saying. 
The Greek word parabole is a very broad category. It's any time that you say something and the meaning is not immediately clear, but it's pointing us to a deeper meaning, right? That's what a parable is. Jesus tells around 40 different parables in the Gospels, around 40. And so as Jesus sits in this boat, he begins to tell the parable of the sower. Now, last week we looked at the parable of the sower. And we started in verse three, but when I preached on verse three last week, if you remember, I intentionally skipped over the first two words in verse three. And I did that because I want to address them now. Look at verse three. Listen, behold. Jesus starts off this parable with two important words. Listen, behold. Listen is an important word in this chapter. It occurs 13 times in this chapter, the most of any chapter in the New Testament, the only, the, uh, the second most, the first is Matthew 13, which is about the parable of the sower. So in both chapters, the parable of the sower has the most content about listening. Listen is a present active imperative. What does that mean? It's, it, it means it's something we do. It's something we do in the present and it is commanded. When Jesus says, listen, he is commanding them to listen here in the now. And Jesus calls the crowd, what, what, what exactly, when he says, listen, what is he calling them to do here? He's not calling them to simply hear the content of his words. He's calling them to listen to the meaning of them. When he says, listen, he's saying, don't just hear what I'm saying. Listen to the meaning of what I am saying. Now, why is that important? Because remember last week, how many of the four groups, if you were here last week, all right, I want you to say it out loud. How many of the four groups heard the word? All of them, four. They all did. How many of the four groups produced fruit with perseverance? How many? One. All four heard the word. Only one produced fruit with perseverance. Now, why? Why the discrepancy? Why did three not produce fruit with perseverance? Because only one of the four groups listened well. The next word here is behold, which can also be translated look or see. Same, same can be translated the way. So what, look what Jesus is doing here. He is not only calling them to listen, he is calling them to see. He says, listen, see. You see, that's what the gospel is. The gospel is a call to listen, to see. After telling the parable, Jesus says, look down to verse nine. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's an interesting phrase. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, Jesus says this phrase, he will repeat it seven times in the book of Revelation. If you ever read Revelation two, chapter two and three, there are seven churches that he addresses there. And at the end of each of those churches, he says these words, let the church, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Now, what does Jesus mean by this statement? He who has ears to hear. Now I look out and I, I think 100% of you have ears. I think. I haven't, I haven't examined all of you 
Maybe he means those who maybe might be deaf, but only 0.22% of the population is deaf. Only 0.22%. So is Jesus speaking to the 99.78% of the population? Is Jesus saying, you 99.78% hear what I have to say? No, that's not what he's doing. This statement is an invitation. He who has spiritual ears to hear. That's what he's saying. He who has spiritual ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, Jesus' point is, is that all of you physically in the crowd, as he sits on this boat and he tells this parable to the sower, he says, I've just told you a parable. All of you physically just heard what I said. But not all of you just spiritually heard what I said. In the explanation of the parable that we looked at last week, Jesus tells us that Satan, tribulation, persecution, anxiety, riches, desires, pleasures, all of those can act as spiritual earplugs that keep us from spiritually hearing. Look at verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. So now, uh, Jesus, it appears he has dismissed the crowds, right? He sent the crowd home, and now he's alone with his disciples. And the disciples, uh, probably more than just the 12, might have, you know, again, Jesus had 12 close disciples, and then there were like, there was three, there was 12, there was 70, there was 5,000, right? Uh, but probably uh, somewhere between 12 and 70, the disciples come and ask him about the parables, and Matthew and Luke give us a few more details than Mark does here. Let's look at Matthew's detail first. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to or type it in, but just listen. Matthew 13, 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? So the disciples come to Jesus and they, they want to know, Jesus, why do you use this method to teach? This was not an orthodox method. This is not how the Pharisees taught. This is not how the Sadducees taught. This, this is not how most philosophers would teach. Why do you use this method? And the reason they're asking this question is the disciples discern that the crowds did not understand the parables. Now, how did they discern this? Because they didn't understand the parables. We'll see in just a minute. They themselves did not understand. When Jesus spoke this parable, they had no idea what he just said. And so their question is, they're saying, look, Jesus, if your intention is to make your teaching clear and plain, then why are you speaking in parables? Because the people don't understand what you're getting at. Now, how is Jesus going to respond to this question? Look at verse 11. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So when he says to you, who's the you there? The you is clearly the disciples, the 12 and then whatever extra disciples were there. He says to you, you disciples, you has been given. Now notice he doesn't say you have discovered. Don't miss that. You have not discovered the secret. He says to you has been given. This is a gift. Now, what have they been given? 
They've been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, what is that? What is the secret of the kingdom of God? The Greek word for secret there is mysterion. It's where we get the word mystery from. This is a common word in Paul's writings, but only Jesus uses it. Jesus only uses it in this passage. What is this secret? Well, in the immediate context, it means that Jesus would give the disciples the meaning of the parable. He's saying, look, like, I understand that you don't understand this. I understand the crowds didn't understand this, but I'm going to give you the secret to understand this parable. And then we'll see in just a minute, it's a good thing because the disciples did not understand it any more than the crowd. It was a mystery to them, but the mystery will be revealed to them. Now that's the narrow sense. That's the immediate sense. But in the broader sense, Jesus is talking about something deeper than parables here. Much deeper than parables. If you read Paul's writings, because Paul's the one who primarily uses this word. If you read Paul's writings, this mystery refers to the gospel. And more specifically, Christ himself. What is the mystery of the kingdom of God? It is Christ. Jesus Christ. And all that he is, is this mystery. This mystery was given to the disciples. Now, Jesus contrasted the disciples with the outsiders. He's contrasting the disciples and the outsiders. Now, what are, what are outsiders? What does that mean? Outside or outsiders, that's a phrase that Paul often uses to refer to the lost world. I think Jesus is using it the exact same way here. I think he's referring to people who are lost. So I want you to notice the contrast. Those on the outside, the law, or sorry, those on the inside, the disciples, they are given the secret. Those on the outside, the lost, they are given parables. That's what he's saying. Now, why is that? Why does Jesus do that? Why does he choose to purposely give a parable to people who would not understand it? Look at verse 12. So that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, this is one of the most controversial verses in the New Testament, and also one of the most confusing. Um, so we got to break it down. I want to start by noticing this phrase, so that. Don't miss that phrase. That might be the most important phrase in verse 12. So that, the, those words, so that, it's one word in the Greek, it's henna. I've given that word to you before, henna. What it, uh, it's called a henna clause. What's a henna clause? It's a purpose or result clause. Whenever you see henna in the Greek, it means it's telling the purpose of something or the result of something. So what does Jesus do there? Jesus is stating his purpose for telling parables. He, that's, that's what he's doing here. He says, here is the purpose of why I tell parables. And then he proceeds to quote from Isaiah 6, 9 to 10. This, this, that's why it's bracketed here. This is a quote from Isaiah 6, 9 to 10. Now, uh, just to give the context of Isaiah 6, 9 to 10, it's a very familiar passage, right? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. Isaiah is given a vision of God and God... Um, 
needs someone to go for him. He says, who will go for me to, to, the, to the nation of Israel? And Isaiah says, me, me, I will go. And he says, what, what am I supposed to proclaim? What am I supposed to tell the nation? And he says, go and tell them to see, but not perceive, to hear and not understand, lest they would turn and be forgiven. That's, that's controversial, isn't it? They may indeed see, but not perceive. What does that mean? How can you see, but not perceive? How's that even possible? Let me, let me give an uh, illustration. Um, imagine if you walked around in pure darkness all day long, right? Like pure darkness, not a shred of light. No light at all. You're in, and, 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 and for 16 hours straight, you're in pure darkness. Then all of a sudden you open a door and inside this room, floodlights. Just floodlights. And there's a person in the room. And you are asked to identify the person. You can see. It's not that you can't see. You can see. But you cannot perceive who this person is. Why? Because your eyes are so accustomed to the darkness that you cannot receive the light. You cannot perceive the person. You can't see who they are. That's the first one. He said, and you may indeed hear, but not understand. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to hear, but not understand? What does that mean? Not understand, like, even like, understand in a way where like, you have no idea what was just said to you. Like it was a foreign language. How is that possible? Um, I'll give you another illustration. Growing up, I loved music. I got my first job when I was 14 years old, work pushing carts at a grocery store. When I got my first paycheck, you know what I did? I went to Blockbuster Music. You guys, you guys remember Blockbuster Music? Uh, that was a, you know, Blockbuster, what is that? That was a long time ago. It was like 1993. I went to Blockbuster Music. I bought Eric Clapton and the Eagles. I loved it so much that I turned the volume up on my Walkman all the way that it eventually dulled my sense of hearing. And so now, 30 years later, sometimes my wife, who has a very gentle and low voice, she'll be sitting across the table from me, like literally like five feet from me. She'll say something. I can hear that she's speaking, but I can't understand what she's saying. Like I, I hear their sound, but I, I honestly cannot discern what the words were. because my hearing has been so dulled. See, Jesus says the reason he tells them parables is so that those on the outside, they will hear the parable, but they will not understand it. They will see the truth in the parable, but they will not receive it as truth. And then Jesus says, maybe the most controversial part, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, what does that mean? Jesus is saying that if they did truly see, if they did truly hear, they would turn, repent, 
and they would be forgiven. If they saw, if they heard, they would turn, they would repent, and they would be forgiven. Now, in verse 12, Jesus is teaching us two doctrines of the faith that are very controversial. But listen, I don't know why they're so controversial, considering here they are in Scripture. Right? Like, now, you've, you, Paul tells you to test everything, and you test this, right? You test if you think I'm, you know, making this up, or I'm bending it, or distorting it, right? you got to test that. But we have to deal with this. We, we, we can't just, you know, I don't know what this, what the irony of that, just, I don't know what that means. There would be great irony in that. Two doctrines. Number one, irresistible grace, probably better labeled effectual calling. And number two, reprobation. Effectual calling, reprobation. Let me briefly talk about those. What is effectual calling? Where do we see that in verse 12? Jesus is saying that if these people, if they were given the secrets of the kingdom of God, I mean, if he gave them the secret, what would happen? They would perceive it and they would understand it. And if they perceived it and if they understood it, they would turn. Not they might turn, they would turn and they would be forgiven. In other words, everybody who truly perceives and truly understands turns and is forgiven. It's an effectual calling. You see the gospel, you hear the gospel, you truly understand it, you will turn and be forgiven. It is an effectual calling. Number two, reprobation. What is reprobation? You may have never heard that phrase before. What is reprobation? Wayne Grudem, who's a a scholar, a theologian. Wayne Grudem writes this definition. Reprobation is the sovereign decision of God before creation to pass over some persons in sorrow, deciding not to save them and to punish them for their sins and thereby to manifest his justice. That's controversial. The question is, does God really do that? Does God really do that? This is why the so that is is so important here. That's why I said the henna clause here is so important. Because Jesus is saying, don't, don't miss this. Jesus is saying, the reason I speak in parables to those on the outside is so that they will not perceive so that they will not understand, so that they will not turn and be forgiven. Now, lest that trip any of you up, I'll come back to that in the application. I'll come back to that. Look at verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? Now, Mark doesn't include this detail, But Luke tells us that the disciples, they didn't understand the parable. Luke 8, 9. And when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, right? So the disciples come to him and they say, hey, what did this mean? Now, and Jesus says, and Mark, do you not understand? You don't understand the parable? How are you going to understand all parables then? 
Now, this appears contradictory to verse 11, doesn't it? Verse 11, he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Is it contradictory? Contradictory. What this tells us is that being given secrets to the kingdom of God doesn't mean the disciples immediately understand all truths, right? When we get saved, it's not as though like all of us become Bible scholars. It's not as though like we, you know, fully understand. I am still wrestling with truths after studying this book for the past 20 years. What what Jesus is saying when he says to you has been given the secret, he's saying rather, I have given you the necessary tools and the necessary faculties to understand parables in due time. Let's look at verse 33 to 34, our last two verses for exposition. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Now, after the parable of the sower, Jesus then proceeds to tell them three additional parables. We're going to look at these three parables next week. So Jesus tells the parable of the sower. He says this, and then he tells them three individual parables. We'll look at those next week. I want you to notice that Mark writes in verse 33, with many such parables, he spoke what to them? The word. He says he spoke the word to them. Now, that reminds us of the seed. Remember last week, what was the seed? The seed was the word of God. What Jesus is saying is that when I tell these parables, I am sowing the seed into your hearts. Right now, Jesus is the sower. He is sowing seed into the crowd's hearts. Them here is the crowd. And Jesus did not speak to the crowds without using a parable. He said, Mark says that as they were able to hear it. Now, what does that mean? As they were able to hear it. I think Mark is saying that he spoke the word to them in as much as they were able to spiritually discern what he was saying, right? Meaning that Jesus gives them milk. He recognizes they're not ready for solid food. He's giving them milk and he will later give them solid food. Now, privately, Jesus takes them aside, the disciples, and he explains everything to them. And we, you know, which is great because we, we were privy to that. We get to see the explanation of the parable. I don't, I don't know that we would understand the parable ourselves without the explanation properly. You know, we might think, oh, the birds are this, you know, and maybe we'd get it. I don't know. Um, here's, what I want, here's what I want to leave on the exposition. I, 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 don't miss this. What separates the disciples from the crowds? What was the difference between the disciples and the crowds? Is it that the disciples understood the parable and the crowds didn't? No. What separates the disciples from the crowds is that Jesus chose to explain the parable to the disciples. And he didn't explain it to the crowds. That's what separates them. We'll stop there with our exposition. Application. What do we do with this? Application of the text. I have six truths for us this morning. Here they are. Number one, Jesus's heart is to teach and for us to understand. Jesus's heart is to teach and his heart is for us to understand. 
You see, I think it can be easy to read this passage or maybe even to sit here as you've been listening to the exposition and to think, Jesus just enjoys being mysterious. Like he, he gets his kicks off of people not understanding. Like he told parables and he was like, watch this, they're not going to understand this. It can be easy to think that Jesus gets his kicks off of being mysterious. Now, we've all felt this in some measure, haven't we? I, I think that we can all humbly admit that there is so much about this book that we don't understand. Can we not all humbly admit that like, it's not just like a few things, like, like there's a lot in this book that we do not understand? So much about life we don't understand, Right? When Jesus taught in parables, the people did not understand them. They didn't. Even his own disciples didn't understand them. Right? But we must not think of Jesus as this Wizard of Oz type of figure who enjoys concealing himself behind a curtain of mystery. Because we see in this passage, Jesus' heart is to teach his people. The passage opens with this statement. Again, he began to teach them beside the sea. If all Jesus wanted to do was remain a mystery, he wouldn't have ever taught them to begin with. Jesus is not like the Greek gods. See, the Greek gods, they uh, created this impossible chasm between them and their lowly subjects, humans. Right? But that's not how our God is. Jesus takes on flesh. He becomes human. He inhabits our world. He walks on our dirt. He sits on our boats and he teaches the people from them. Now, it is true that Jesus used parables as his primary teaching method to the crowds. That's true. And it's true that parables were given to conceal the truth of the message. That's all true. But I like what D.A. Carson writes about this tension. D.A. Carson is a a Bible commentator. Um, Here's what D.A. Carson writes about this tension. It is naive to say that Jesus spoke parables so that everyone might more easily grasp the truth. And it is simplistic to say that the sole function of parables to outsiders was to condemn them. If Jesus simply wished to hide the truth from the outsiders, he need never have spoken to them. His concern for mission excludes that idea. So he must preach without casting his pearls before pigs. He does so in parables, i.e. in such a way as to harden and reject those who are hard of heart and to enlighten often with further explanation, his disciples. Thus the parables spoken to the crowds do not simply convey information nor mask it, but challenge the hearers, end quote. You see, so many church attenders come to church week after week. This is true for every church in America and the world. So many church attenders come to church week after week, they listen to the message, and they don't understand. Maybe this morning you will leave and say, what was the pastor talking about? I don't know. I have no idea. This is not, don't think that that is because God enjoys making things difficult. God is is not up in heaven with a condescending smirk on his face at our lack of understanding. Nice try, Tim. That is not our God. You see, every time the word is sown, he is gently and patiently 
challenging us. Right now, even if you do not understand a word that I'm saying, he is gently and patiently challenging us. Challenging us what? Will we press in and seek understanding? Will we press in and seek understanding? You say, well, what's the point? I don't think he'll tell me. Well, one thing I'm humbled by is that did you notice that Jesus was patient with his disciples' lack of understanding? Now, he does give them a very mild rebuke in verse 13. But then he proceeds to explain the parable to them. Jesus does not look at them and be like, oh, come, come on, guys. Uh, you don't understand? Fine. No, he takes them aside and he gently, patiently explains the parable to them that we looked at last week. Jesus' heart is to teach us. His heart is for us to understand. He wants all of us to understand what he is saying. Number two, physical listening is a skill and like any skill, it can be cultivated. Physical listening is a skill. And like any skill, it can be cultivated. Jesus starts off this parable with perhaps the most important word in this chapter. Listen. It occurs 13 times in the chapter. Now, listen is a command, but it's also a skill. And like any skill, it can be cultivated. Now, you might say, how do we cultivate it? Um, well, Back in 2021, on Friday night, I did a four-week series on listening. I know it was, it was outdoors. I don't remember if it was out. It was, it was, I think it was outdoors. And uh, probably in the freezing cold, so I don't, I don't know how many were listening that well. But uh, it, was, it was hard to listen in the freezing cold. On week four, I gave 10 practical steps to listen more effectively. I want to share them with you again, bullet style. I'm going to share them really fast, bullet style. The point of me sharing this is that there are ways to cultivate the, the physical listening. Here they are. Number one, read the passage ahead of time. Write down any questions and insights you have. You guys know what I'm preaching on. You guys know on Sunday school, right, small group, read the passage ahead of time. I would encourage all of you, whenever you're going to discipleship, Sunday school, sermon, read the passage ahead of time. Write down your questions. Write down your insights. Number two. Some people should take notes. Some people should not. Note-taking can either be an asset or a liability. Number three, get around seven to eight hours of sleep. Number four, get the right seven to eight hours of sleep during the week. And what do I mean by that? If you normally go to bed at four and then wake up at 11, you're like, that's seven hours. That's fine during the week, but that's hard when you're gonna, you have to get to Sunday, you have to wake up at eight on Sunday. Structure your life in such a way that Sunday mornings or Friday nights will not be difficult because you're so tired. Number five, consider caffeine if your conscience allows. Or gum, or nuts, or whatever. If your conscience allows. Six, consider a paper Bible. If your phone, your computer, or your tablet are too much of a temptation. Right? 
If it's too much of a temptation to get a notification on your phone, too much of a temptation that if I say something and people, you know, I learned this years ago at seminary, they said, we're living in an age now, pastor, that in the sermon, if you say something, people will look it up, right? Looking it up, looking up information or looking up, like that's something to be done afterwards. And if that's too much of a temptation, get a paper Bible. Put your phone away, put your tablet away, use a paper Bible. Seven, body language and posture not only overflow from our emotions and thoughts, but they also affect our emotions and thoughts, right? In other words, body, body posture not only conveys, it also affects how well we listen. Number eight, lovingly and graciously ignore outside physical distractions. Lovingly, graciously ignore them. People coming in late, people going to the bathroom, children squirming in their seats, ignore them. You see the cutest little baby you've ever seen in your life in front of you, ignore that baby. I mean this, guys. I've seen in the sermon before, some of you are playing goo-goo gaga with the baby. The whole sermon ignored the baby. Number nine, don't check your phone or your computer or start a new task a set amount of time before listening. Right? You're coming into the sermon. You're coming into Friday night. You're coming into discipleship. Don't check your, don't check your email. 30 minutes beforehand, you might get that email from your boss and it just totally derails you mentally. Number 10, eat breakfast or dinner beforehand or consider it a fast. If you can eat beforehand, eat. Don't be distracted by hunger. And if you can't eat, if you don't have time, whatever, you, you woke up late, you know what? Don't think of it as I miss breakfast. Think of it as I'm fasting. Even the, the mental decision there will be like, I'm fasting for the Lord right now. Physical listening is a skill. It is. And like any skill, it can be cultivated. Number three, every sermon, every Bible study, every small group, every discipleship, every Christian book, every quiet time, is an invitation to not only physically hear, but to spiritually hear as well. Now, in my previous point, I mainly talked about physical listening, right? I mean, all spiritual listening starts with physical listening. That's why I started there. But Jesus' main point in this passage is not about physical listening. It's about spiritual listening. Twice in this chapter, he says the same phrase. Verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, this is an invitation. When Jesus says this, he's inviting us to hear. It's an invitation he's still giving today. Right now, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, is telling you, listen, if you have ears to hear, hear. He's inviting you to hear what he's saying. Every time we come to the word in any form, not just sermons, every time, it's an invitation to hear. Whether it is a sermon, a Bible study, a small group, a discipleship, a Christian book, a quiet time, a podcast, an article, it's an invitation to not only hear it with our physical ears, but our spiritual ears as well. Now, you may be saying, maybe, maybe you're wondering, what is the difference between physically hearing and spiritually hearing? What is the difference? Well, 
If you are married, we all know what it feels like to talk to our spouse and we can tell that they aren't really listening. They are physically hearing what we're saying, but they're not really listening. It's like, uh-huh, 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 yeah, what, what? They're not taking what we're saying to heart. We all know what that feels like, right? If you have a stubborn parent, you ever had a stubborn parent? You need to tell them something. You ever have a stubborn child? You need to tell them something. We know what it feels like to sense that they are physically hearing what we're saying, but they're not really listening. Their stubbornness has caused an earwax buildup. You see, the same is true for us and God. Every time we come to the word in any form, God is speaking. Don't ever think God is not speaking. Every single time we come to the word of God in any form, almighty God is speaking to you. He is inviting us to hear what he is saying to us. You never know. This might be the time your life forever changes. You never know. Number four, secrets must be revealed. Faith must be given. Secrets must be revealed. Faith must be given. When the disciples asked Jesus about the parables, Jesus said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, so far in the application, I have been focusing on man's responsibility and hearing. But let's be clear, God is sovereign. On our own, we cannot hear what he is saying any more than a grasshopper can understand my marital conflict. Secrets must be revealed. Faith must be given. Jesus stresses this point over and over again. Matthew eleven twenty five. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Matthew 16, 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but your Father in heaven. Luke 10, 23. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Now, I point this out because there are going to be days where we don't understand. Even if you have spiritual ears, there are going to be days you don't understand. There are going to be days when we go to the Word and we don't see the glory of God in the Word. Right? There are going to be days that you don't discern His voice. And you're like, I, God just seems silent. God just seems like, man, He's just not speaking to me. I'm seeking him. I want to hear from him, but I just, he's just, don't think that the answer to that problem is this. I just need to try harder. I just need to try harder. I just need to listen better. Now that may very well be true. That may very well be true, but we might be listening Have you ever considered that we actually might be listening as well as we possibly can? And still nothing, crickets, spiritual crickets. What does that mean? Secrets must be revealed. Faith must be given. Don't forget that. 
God chooses to reveal what he chooses to reveal. He reveals it in his timing. Five, God does not withhold perception and understanding from anybody who genuinely wants it. Now, this is my point of return to reprobation. I realized the doctrine of reprobation, maybe when I went through that, it was like, man, I don't know about that. God does not withhold perception and understanding from anybody who genuinely wants it. Now, one of the dangers of reading verses 11 and 12 is that some may read those verses and think, I guess God doesn't give me understanding. I guess God doesn't want me to understand this. Now, as a pastor, I've heard that. I've heard that through the years. I'll explain something to somebody and they're like, I don't know. I don't know. I guess God doesn't want me to understand it. Didn't you say God is sovereign? Didn't you say that it must be revealed? Didn't you say that it must be given? Right? I guess he he hadn't revealed it to me. God does not withhold perception and understanding from anybody who genuinely wants it. Nobody is saying, I want to perceive. I want to see God. And God says, nah. Nah. Nobody is saying, I want to understand your word, oh God. Please help me to understand this. And God says, "Mm, maybe next time. Not you. Not you. Those who come to God with a genuine heart, seeking to understand, God opens their eyes. God opens their ears. When Jesus told Nicodemus a mini parable about being born again, that was a mini parable told Nicodemus about being born again. Nicodemus didn't understand it. He's like, huh. I know my mother and like, I mean, how am I going to fit in there? I'm a grown man. Like, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? He didn't understand it. What did Jesus do? Did Jesus say to him, go home and think about that, Nicodemus? No, Jesus took the time to explain to Nicodemus what it means to be born again. God does not withhold perception and understanding from anybody who genuinely wants it. Number six, last point. A lack of understanding is always an opportunity to be either apathetic, agnostic, or adamant. A lack of understanding is always an opportunity to be either apathetic, agnostic, or adamant. You see, whenever we come to a lack of understanding, in any sense, it always presents a fork in the road with three paths. Path A is apathy. Path B is to be agnostic. Path C is to be adamant. Now, Mark doesn't include this, but in Matthew's account of the parable, Matthew 13, 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. 
Remember we looked at last week that the Satan comes, the birds come and snatch it away. Why did they snatch it away? Because they didn't understand it. Now, what does that mean? It means that it is the very lack of understanding that presents an opportunity for Satan to come and steal the word away. You see, a lack of understanding is always an opportunity to be either apathetic, agnostic, or adamant. What do I mean by that? Apathetic. What does it mean to be apathetic, right? Maybe this morning, if you walk away and you know, you're like, rep, repro, rep, repro what? I don't know. I don't know what that means. You know, and honestly, I'm over it. Let's go, let's go get lunch. What? Uh, listen, I got too much work to do. I, I, I've got a project that's due tomorrow. I don't really have time to be thinking about that. You know, I, I don't have time to try to discern what God wants me to do here. Right? I've got tasks. I've got crying children. I don't have time to think about what this means. You know, I can't just sit around just like, you know, pie in the sky. What does this mean? You know, I, I got too much to do. That's apathetic. Agnostic. Who knows? Well, you know, I mean, can we ever be sure what we're believing is true? Can we ever have confidence that we have the right interpretation? You know, I hear Pastor Matt giving this interpretation of this passage, but can, can we be sure of that? Can anybody ever be sure that their interpretation is the correct one? Can we ever know that we have rightly discerned the will of God? You know, I hear people say like, oh, it was the will of God. Like, can, can we really ever discern that? That's agnostic. And then adamant. What does it mean to be adamant? What does it mean to be adamant when you don't understand? It is the spirit of Moses who says, show me your glory. I'm not leaving this mountain until you show me your glory, God. It is the spirit of Jacob who says, I will not let you go until you bless me. It is the spirit of Job that says, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. It is not presumptuous to be adamant. Do not think that God considers it presumptuous to be adamant. It glorifies God when we are adamant, when we stand on the mountain and we stand through the earthquake, through the wind, through the fire, and we stand there waiting to hear the gentle, low whisper of God. You don't understand? Be adamant to get understanding. Don't give up until you get it. Let's pray.